the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 152, recorded Friday, July 18th, 2014. Cracked Fruit. AV Week is brought to you by Middle Atlantic Products, who invite you to stop by their new, customer-focused website, Middle Atlantic Products, what great systems are built on. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. Welcome. Good afternoon. If you're watching from the West Coast, good late morning to you. How are you? Um, thank you so much for joining us. With us this week is uh, my buddy, my pal, the left side of my brain. I think you're still at the left side of my brain. George Tucker, uh, engineering coordinator for World Stage and all-around producer extraordinaire for AV Nation. How are you, sir? All right. Good afternoon from the East Coast. And I, I told George this off the air. Uh, this is my favorite bra- background that he is. Uh, he is at. Uh, he's actually at World Stage, and so it looks like he actually does a job for a living, as as opposed to mine. So, uh, also with us is Frank White. Frank is the senior partner uh, at Stay Tuned. Uh, in the in, speaking of the West Coast, he is on the West Coast. So, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and last but not least, a guy that I've I've followed for a number of years uh, on Twitter. Uh, and I've never actually talked to him in person, so this is a treat for me. Uh, Mr. Paul Konikowski from PK Audio Visuals. How are you, sir? Also on the West Coast, doing well, um, north of San Francisco. So. Oh, very good. You're you're just you're around our buddy, uh, Mr. Fergoza and uh, Mr. Strago. So. Yep. Very good. Yep. Yeah. And Johnny Moda too. He's very. very and Johnny Moda, yes. Uh, Mr. Moda, yes. Yes. Cannot forget about Johnny. We talked about him has last. He a, has he been a guest on here yet? Uh, a couple times early on. Uh, actually, Johnny was was uh, one of the episodes we did early on. Um, he didn't coin the phrase. He used the uh, the Monty Python "Bring Out Your Dead" mm. um, when we were talking about years ago. Crestron had a uh, a uh, turn in program where they allowed you to return or or, or basically bring in right used in. analog gear for digital gear. And uh, yeah, it was one of those one of those episodes you don't forget. So. Uh, all of our podcasts brought to you by uh, fine folks at Middle Atlantic, Middle Atlantic Products. We will talk to them about them in a couple minutes. But, uh, uh, yes, thank you so much for to Middle Atlantic Products. All right, first up, uh, for my buddies over at CE Pro, this is from, from uh, Julie Jacobson. And it, it caught my eye simply because of, uh, you know, honestly, it's because of the Internet of Things and, and all the different control stuff that has been on my brain, at least lately. And the fact that RTI uh, is getting two-way IP control with Apple TVs. Now, let me say that again. The Apple TV can be controlled uh, through IP by RTI. Um, Interesting how they did it. Interesting the fact that they did it. Uh, George, real quickly, and and we'll get get Paul and and, and Frank. What does this mean for people like AMX and Crestron and and Control for... um, the possibilities of breaking into a, you know, let's let's say it, you know, a, a system that has up until this point been very difficult to crack into, and very difficult to say the least. That you're putting a sugar coating on that. I'm trying uh, to. Yeah, well, uh, well, again, they did say it was hacked, cracked. 
actually was the, Cracked, the word. not hacked. And the person being quoted actually did say that it was reverse engineered. These are two bad phrases for me that while we all do it, somebody who's doing it for profit and as a company, that's a seriously... There's, there's quandaries there. Okay, well, there's real quickly, why, why is that? Well, because every item that you ever get from software or uh, when you license it or say, yes, I agree, usually says you will not reverse engineer in whole or part any okay. concept of it. Any company does it from the big manufacturers in our industry to consumer electronics. It's in there somewhere when you say yes. You will not reverse engineer it in any part or whole, blah, 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 okay. via any implement of whatever. Then um, that's part of the problem is that Apple's been so bad about saying, yes, we want to integrate with you or we want this to be part of our world that they haven't really cared. They, it's IR, it's fine, it's simple, go away. And I can see their point because they don't want to be held responsible in some ways for something going bad, a coder doing it wrong or somewhere down the line when they make a firmware change, it's an issue. And in point of that, there's a historic precedent for it with their iPod. When Apple laid out their new Nanos, this is when they were the big sort of squarish looking things or rectangular looking things, they put out a whole new of neon colors. What they did not tell any of their partners in software was that when they put out the neon colors, they changed not only the pin configuration, but some of the software hooks. Ergo, anything that worked previously when you got the new one or updated your firmware to the older version, none of it worked. Whether it was Crestron, AMX, or any of the other systems out there, they also didn't work in uh, Hummer and Cadillacs and Mercedes. So they've had a long history of this, and I'm not so sure how beneficial over the long run it will be for them. It's great. I want to see more of it, but okay. Frank, does it, does does George have a point here with 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 the the I guess the downside or the or the the backlash of reverse engineering, or is this one of those things where, yeah, yeah, they they hacked it, you know, cracked it, however you want to say it, um, tomato tomato. But is that just you know another way for you know um, guys like Control Four and RTI and people like that to get into a system that is ubiquitous? Uh, is rather popular, and their customers are asking for it. So they're saying, hey, you know what, look, here's the deal. We we can do it. This is just kind of how we have to do it. Is there a bad side to that? Well, there's uh, – well, first of all, the, from the technician part of me, is, is I'm very intrigued on uh, that they that they actually got to do it. Yeah. As a as a, somebody in, in an integ integration role, I don't know that I would – unless you have a really good understanding of the complete environment and architecture and – ecosystem that they have, could you install that and it will it bridge into whatever updates they send because as we all, you know, as we all love and live with our Apple TVs, okay, that that firmware gets updated every 60 days or so and is, is this hack or, or crack or however you're putting this, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously compromised the intentions of Apple. I imagine that uh, you know, it, it, if Apple sees a way to potentially monetize something in their best interest, I imagine that they'd have a discussion, but I don't know that it works that way. Mm. But here's the thing. They, 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 and this is, you know, our own little navel-gazing for a second. It, it seems like that they would have had that conversation by now, doesn't it? Uh, they, it, they, sure, it sure does. I mean, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, you know, well, we're not, we're not a one conversation they had this week uh, is, was with IBM. So it seems like Apple is getting a little bit more open to... To mixing with other people. I don't know if you guys heard that news uh -uh. at all. It's it's outside of AV land, um, and, and I don't know if it's it's as relevant. But Apple and IBM announced a new partnership this week, where they're going after enterprise, um, because Apple's yeah. been so 
good at consumer and so good at keeping things simple, and IBM so good at you know um, enterprise and not so simple. And so there's very little overlap between the companies, and they they created this partnership earlier this week. They announced where they're going after enterprise applications, you know, apps. So so you can have you know what what everybody's been wanting for you know since the iPad came out, a truly enterprise level iPad, you know, uh, enterprise level iPhone, um, things like that. So I, I think traditionally the Apple ecosystem has been very hard to crack. You know, very close-minded. They don't want to work with anybody. But I feel like maybe the tide is turning. You know, maybe they are realizing that it's time to go a bit bigger and maybe they do need to play well with others so um, I agree with the point about it being legal or not legal I mean I would be scared to write the article even you know I would tell Julie to keep this on the down low <laughs> um, but um, because you know I mean there's been a, there's been plenty of hacks in our in our industry for years people were hacking HDMI before it should have been hacked and um, it's when it gets public is that is that when the legal stuff comes out but but I do think there is there, that we're at a tipping point because Apple is is going from that consumer level or graphic designer you know that that single person uh, working alone or working in a small team and it, and it wants to get up to that uh, Dell level you know up to the the server level uh, and, and IBM's there and IBM obviously has no way to get back to the consumers, you know, they've sort of lost the consumers at this point. So, um, you know, I think, I think to me that was bigger news, you know, um, right. I didn't, well, real, you know, Ar quickly. RTI is a great little company. Um, the other thing that brings us to mind is, well, why wouldn't somebody just buy RTI, you know, like why wouldn't Apple or, you know, one of these other companies, you know, just pick them up. Apple has enough cash around that they could just simply probably buy out RTI. Cisco. Cisco. Well, I, my my thing is is that it, even if 100% of the integration companies moved from Roku and some of the others and they focused exclusively on the integration of IP television through an Apple TV box, are we going to even move the needle for content for them? Yeah. You know, I don't think we represent enough of an interest at $100 a pop to really make a move move that needle for them very much. No, and that and that's a valid point, you know, the fact that, you know, and I think that's also probably why Apple hasn't spent a whole lot of time. I mean, right. yes, Tim Cook did say recently that it was no, it was no longer a hobby, right? Um, it's a very profitable hobby for them still because they haven't done a whole lot of development with it. So. But the integration portion of their business has got to be, you know, single digits or maybe less. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, at best, we're 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 not even on their radar. Eh? No. But that's right. true. I mean, that's true for. Most of AV, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to generalize your statement at all, Frank. It's it's definitely more specific to Apple, but but we've been we've been out of you know off the radar for quite a while. We've been you right. know tossed aside, and and so I I believe that what will be the inroads will be the the IT sector. You know, will be that sort of IT sector and and um, pulling it all together. Um, well, I, I think. think that I think as they move into, I think as they move into this space, this enterprise level space, we're going to start seeing a lot more digital signage type applications, right. um, content sharing, uh, cloud based enterprise stuff that uh, is and secure. I, I, and I think for Apple, there's an a lot, there's a lot more headroom. You know, they don't have to sell it to us for a hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, because we're going to integrate it and attach a lot more value to it as it moves through the channel, and so. Look at this, is that for a long time, we as an industry have kind of had a chip on our shoulders in that 
Apple's much more important to us than we are to them. Well, and let's be honest, that's that's going to be the, the way it is for a while. Right. Um, because, because I mean, yes, we're not a small um, we're not a small industry, but they are not, you know, th- their phone business, you know, is bigger than us, uh, is bigger than the AV industry. Um, right. If I, you know, did my math, the math in my head and how many handsets they actually sell on a yearly basis. Um, this is the same conversation that kind of ha- that happened when AMX and Harman got together and, and that inevitably, inevitably led to, you know, who else is on the block, you know, either literally or, or who could be and you start looking at the cost of some of these companies and not that I have $500 million lying around, but if I did, I could pick up a good portion of the AV manufacturers in, in the industry. Um, right. And in in good portion of the integrators in this industry with, with half a billion dollars. And Apple has multiples of that just in cash reserves right now. Um, all righty. Uh, again, another, uh, not that, you know, not that, CE Pro needs our help, but it was another interesting article, so we'll we'll stay with them for a second. Uh, and the reason for that is is, is honestly this is is Thread. Uh, if you're not familiar with mm-hmm. what Thread is, um, real quickly, uh, Paul, do you have a Nest in your house? No, I do not. I'm familiar with the product, but but I do not. George, do you? No, I have a Crestron wireless thermostat. Ah, ooh, even better, <laughs> Frank. I do not. I am very familiar with it. All right. Well, I have a nest. That's why. Okay. So, so one, one of the four. Our unscientific study says twenty-five percent. Right there. Twenty-five percent of the company. I shouldn't say that. Um, but so, th- Nest is the is the fancy fancy you know Apple esque uh, thermostat, and there are other things that are being threaded, pun intended, um, because this is a new. Let's call it a standard or or a protocol. And yes, I know the wonderful thing about standards is that there are so many of them. But the thing that makes this one interesting is the fact that Nest is involved. And, and uh, they are the golden child right now of home automation type things or home connected things. Um, and the fact that they've got these other products, um, honestly, kind of you know connected together. And it's almost like... Um, it's almost like their own little intranet, right, of talking to each other and this, that, and the other. Uh, Frank, when it comes to getting another standard up, and, and I, I hate using that term, and, and I, 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 uh, I hesitate even using the term protocol, but getting that in place for integrators, right, for residential integrators to be able to talk to one device and connecting multiples at the same time, how important is it for all these things to be able to, to are on the same wavelength or on the same uh, the same protocol? Well, I, I think right now, in order to get cross-platform um, operability, it takes an it, it takes an enormous amount of uh, of effort by skilled labor to program stuff that are pretty sophisticated. If we can get subsystems that talk together, that automatically populate, and it it reduces the amount of you know code writing time, I think that is absolutely the best thing right now the least the least predictable portion of our industry is integration labor at the programming code level and so it's very very difficult when I go out to a client and tell them what their system can do in the back of all of our minds is can my programmers link all of that stuff together and then come out of it with a predictable amount of investment in the labor to be able to execute on that and so I think that having a Having some kind, of, I, standard may not be the right word, but if we can get interoperability, where I know 
I know that I can get that in a reliable, stable fashion. It'll bridge across, you know, software and firmware updates, and uh, somebody comes in and trades out, a, you know, in this case, it's a, you know, it's a fan or a, a thermostat, and it's still going to operate in that environment. I don't have to throw a huge amount of labor on that, on that, you know, on that truck roll to get out there and make that stuff work for the client. Um, I, it'll be a much more predictable labor environment if we get that. Real quickly, I, I don't want to digress here, but but in my, my full-time job, I, I manage an independent programming house. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's so difficult to get such a consistent number when it comes to you know good quality programming? Is it because people are, are afraid of making a mistake, and so they, they, uh, they put so much margin in, in their quote? Or do you just simply the fact that, that these systems vary from job to job, and you simply can't just type in, you know, a set of criteria and have some computer program spit out, oh, this will take X amount of hours. You know, I think, I think that has to do a lot with who's, who's quoting. Um, I know I used to work for HB Communications, and we had a, a pretty good set of, of rules, per, you know, to, to quote um, guidelines, but the, the programmer always had to be engaged. Yes. You know, the programmer w was supposed to sign off on the hours. The engineer was supposed to help estimate the hours before the proposal went off, and he had to sign out on it, and and then the programmer would sign off on it, and and it, it's all who's quoting. The programmer, I believe, is always going to want more hours because um, they may be trying to make up for hours that they spent on another job. Yes. Um, they may they may also know that the first time through the touch panel uh, probably won't be the last. Um, through the through the layouts and and so it, it may depend on the client and how picky the client is how many changes they want um, this is also going to tie into our I was actually thinking about bringing up the programming costs when we're going to talk a little bit later about outsourcing mm -hmm. and um, and how that might actually help standardize um, but I, I you know I've seen I've seen uh, I think the best case scenario is where the programmer estimates it but I've also seen the programmer really take advantage of that situation let me give you an example right. Uh, without naming names, a very certain um, uh, high-end consultant firm um, nationwide, if you if you bid on their job, uh, they basically tell you who has to be the programmer. Wow. You know, they say, this this guy, it's a guy, he claims he's more than one person, but this guy needs to be our programmer, and all the bidders have to go to him and get the price. So that guy can name his price, and, and it comes out to the tune of $20,000 a job, you know, sometimes. And, um, and, and, you know, okay, well, he's the best, and they, they're specifying the programmer, and, and great. We have our own programmers in-house. This is when I used to do integration. Um, but we'll use your programmer. And for that $20,000, the guy rolled in to our shop. You know, he was supposed to come in and, and do some pre-programming. He didn't have anything ready. Like, he literally walked in pulled out an old file that he used on the last project for the same consultant and started working right in our conference room. And I was just blown away that we had to pay him, you know, twenty or $30,000 to program a, a law firm um, and, and yet had no, absolutely had no ability to price it out. You know, the client had to eat it. I'm sure he gave the same price to all the bidders. Um, and it just seemed absolutely ridiculous, the price that, that he gave. And then when it came, you know, it, and he was, he was, very unprofessional. He was working on other jobs while he was on our project, while he was in our, our building. And um, I don't know. I just felt it was uh, kind of a cheap shot. I felt it was sort of the programming industry 
uh, taking advantage of the situation. Um, I'm sure he and the consultant had worked out some sort of deal where the consultant basically said, you do everything I tell you to do and I'll make sure you get paid for it. Um, but um, it, it, it's that sort of, uh, I think it's those sort of things that make people really question the programming and, and, well, how hard can it be? And as we get into these simpler systems, these nest and, and apps that people can program by themselves or, hey, I can build my own web page, that programming expertise sort of goes away in the client eyes and they say, they really do look at that line and say, what, what's with this programming line? Why do I got to pay so much in programming? And, and you and I both know it takes three trips to the site to, to redo the touch panel and three other things because they change their mind three times. But it's much easier, I feel, to bury the cost into the equipment and not give a line for programming um, but, than, it is to sell, than it is to sell the idea of programming to uh, a client. I think it's almost impossible. Go ahead, Frank. Okay, so but there's a, there's a second environment, too, that goes beyond the programmers is that you're going to get buried or your neck deep or elbows deep into this project, and then the client says, well, we've got this Visio set out in the garage, or we've got this Panasonic display in the lobby. We want that incorporated. You go through your data sets. You don't have, you've got to go through and vet all of the, all of the commands on that, you know, on that display, and how do you put a charge for that because you don't have any experience with it, but the, the client rightfully wants to know up front what the price is to do that. You know, and, and inside, when we all sit next to each other at the bar at these trade shows and stuff, we, we like to talk about time and materials. But I'll tell you is that, that buyers today are very wary. They want to they want to have a they want to have a hard, you know, they want to have a hard target on what this is going to cost. And so, as a you know, as an integrator and as a professional and as a buyer, just somebody that lives in this world, I want to have a I want to have a limit on what that's going to cost. I yeah. want to know what that's going to be. Yeah, absolutely, and you, and you should. And so by going to those standards, we're going to get we're going to get that linearized in a better. Fa Will it ever get there? I don't know, but it, I think it would help. Yeah, absolutely, George. Where, yeah, I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was say, George, on, where, George. Where do you think that the that the whole thread thing? Uh, how how does that how is that going to impact folks like uh, our buddy Steve Greenblatt and and, and Mark Lebecki and, and and me when these independent programming houses where you've got um, you know. Integrators who don't necessarily have certified programmers, but they have people who, who who've got some decent chops, um, and you start giving them tools like this, and it's like, oh, you know what? We can do this. We don't we don't have to, you know, we don't have to become you know AMX certified all the way. We've just we've got these tools or Crestron certified all the way. We've got these tools, and we can just you know pop in and um, you know make everything work because of of these different protocols. Well, I think Frank pointed it out very early on, which is interoperability. Okay. If you don't have that hub, the article goes at length, Julie, I think it was Julie who wrote this one, uh, saying that, you know, you didn't need a hub. This is the sort of the distributed versus centralized model. What's better? A mesh network over several objects or via a central hub? What happens when it breaks down? How many things do you have to fix when you have to get it fixed, right? It's, it's a continuing debate, and they both are valid, but you have to have that interoperability or that main piece of software that can react to it, and that's the inclusive. We can make a thousand different things like Nest and Thread and others that say, yes, I can reach out to you and do something. But can you get the information back and can you parse that information yes. to something that's usable and reliable and actually human? You know, when I dim the lights, do I want something to happen? That kind of stuff. Um, so therein, I think, lies that quandary. Are there tools out there that make some of that simpler and allow you to use Boolean logic is basically what we're talking about yeah. to make those decisions? Yes. But my concern, as eager as I am to have something like this in my house, and like, oh, that's kind of cool, I'll play with it, is the example of, say, CEC. 
Uh, bring it up a lot. You have a th this article states there are thousands of pieces of gear with the the uh, six one LAN or the uh, eight hundred two fifteen four protocol built in, yes. and it's ready to go. And yes, but no, it doesn't have all the features. It doesn't talk about these things. It can't do all the same standard sets. Will they make a standard? Again, I go back to CEC or the thousand non years of us not having even the same gears types, <laughs> let alone the same code and protocols. So I see it as a possibility, but history has shown us that it probably won't work out that way. It'll be something in the middle. Well, and you, you whenever we start, we start talking about standards, you always bring up, you know, uh, the DB9 and 232, mm. and which, you know, which pin is hot? <laughs> Depends on who you ask. So. <laughs> and which, even for the old timers here, which pin, which was female and which was male? Yeah, yeah. Right. How the manufacturer decided they were DC or DTE. <laughs> yeah, I used to order, I, I used, when I was an engineer, I used to order both because uh, even exactly. if, the, you know, no matter what the manual said, uh, half the time it was wrong and it was cheaper for me to order both connectors and, and have the, the, in, the installer keep, keep whichever one he didn't need, he or she didn't need. Um, but you're absolutely right about interoperability and, and calling it a standard, um, it kind of reminds me of WISA. Have you guys uh, talked about WISA much? Um, I, I've worked with them over the last couple of years on and off um, CDS shows and otherwise and and we'll say we're building a new standard but in reality it's not a standard we're not a standards organization it was really a you know an industry alliance but that interoperability between brands is what really appealed to the consumer the idea that the consumer can have a sharp television uh, clip speakers some other kind of subwoofer and they all work together seamlessly quote unquote um, was was what's sold on the on the to the consumer, which is exactly what we're doing. We're integrating different different types of, of gear, unless you're a full Crestron system or something. Um, so the hard part here, I think, is getting the the people on board, and that's that's one thing we when I say we struggled with with Wisa, but that was one of my initial goals uh, when I was when I was brought on with them was to get people on board, get the bandwagon rolling. Because guess what? If you only have one company on board. There's no interoperability, right? So, um, you know, getting everyone to, to jump into the boat, and, and they have Nest, big-ass fans, and Yale Security, which are, you know, all great for, uh, you know, certain applications. You know, I guess I guess that fits sort of education um, pretty well because you have a lot of those. I don't know if you guys are familiar with big-ass fans. They tend to – they put them out here in the, in the cafeterias and stuff like that. Um, Yale Security. I have a 100,000-square-foot facility I am in, and there are about 12 of them. Yeah. Right, right. So like I can totally device. see it, and I can completely see it working in security and home, you know, environment control. Is this gonna, is this gonna be, you know, something that we do presentations through, or or um, or ties into our system? That I think that might be uh, a stretch. Um, Samsung is is the one caveat there, but. Uh, I, I don't, you know, it will, it will see. I know Samsung also tends to dip their toe into things and then kind of see how, how it moves, you know, and see, see what the market says. So, um, I don't know. I, I think the challenge is going to be for, for them is to sort of say, okay, we're all in this, and, it, and instead of doing something else. You know, Nest is also bought by Google. Is that correct? Yes. Well, that that may help. You know, that may actually help because that actually has some – 
some big brother behind it and it and it takes us out of this AV land and into, you know, the the big eye of the of the media. Yeah, back into back into IT honestly and, and but getting you know, getting right. our manufacturers to pull in the same direction is very difficult. You know, you look at the gestation length of an of an integration project from the initial contact until the final check and in you know, in many instances this is measured in 15, 18 months. Mm -hmm. And and so if I start specking something that has that interoperability standard from a big manufacturer like say JVC or Sony, there could be three or four product cycles before I'm actually going to place a purchase order for that 50-inch panel or whatever it is. And so there could be, you know, there could be and and they're sitting there buying into it now, that product's going to come out in four or five months. If they don't see a lot of, you know, a lot of commercial success, they're going to sit there quickly. They're going to make a, a business decision saying, we're not putting, we're not putting effort into that anymore. Yeah. It's a really difficult, it's a difficult arena to, to play in. It's some of yeah, that you have to, you, there has to be money there. I mean, there has to right. be, they, they, they have to want to get them. into that space. They have to see this, they've hit their limit and it would make, it would make, you know, beneficial for them to makes the economic sense for them to continue. Like, but some of that is getting getting back to the Weiss idea. You have yes. a number of speaker manufacturers who don't know how to create televisions. You know, so you can't expect a a, a Polk Audio or a Klipsch to start making televisions. But of course, they want speakers that talk to televisions wirelessly. So it, it's in their best interest to uh, to team up with someone who knows how to make a television. Um, so I think it's going to be. Uh, when they realize that they either have to be in or, or they're not, you know, you're either in or you're not, that that's gonna, it, it'll be the driving force. It'll be, it'll be really interesting to see who jumps on this board, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and again, if someone just buys, if if Google just starts buying up these companies and just calls it something else, calls it Google, Google Thread. Right. There you go. <laughs> we'll um, call it G Thread. Yeah. All right, like guys. Like G String. It's sort oh, of like G String. Just stop we'll it. Good lord. <laughs> Good night. Last week's title was bad enough. Now we've got another one. Yeah. I'm going to write that one down. That G-string. All right. Uh, take a break, guys. Get something to drink. Whoever's phone is ringing, answer it. Um, George, tell your wife I said hi, if that's her. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. Uh, talk to her about our, our buddies over at Mid-Atlantic. Uh, Mid-Atlantic Products, they have uh, signed up and, and been very nice. Um, our first sponsor, uh, this is brought to you by uh, their new C5 series credentials and the new FlexView uh, display solutions. If you did not get a chance to go by their, uh, their, their booth at Infocom, or if you didn't go to Infocom, go by the website, middleatlantic.com. They have this product and a ton of other stuff. They've got a little chat feature that allows you to connect with uh, customer service and technical support from 8 in the morning until 8 at night Eastern. Uh, so both Paul and Frank, if you guys are doing a job and you're like, holy cow, I don't know what to do here. Uh, and it happens to be a middle and a product, don't call them about, you know, a nest problem. They won't, won't, won't know what to do. But but you can chat with them about pretty much any anything middle and related. Again, 8 in the morning till 8 at night. Uh, but the, the the new credenzas, uh, basically it's an expansion on, on their already existing really cool uh, credenzas. The uh, FlexView display solution. Uh, if you go to our website or you go to our YouTube page, you'll get to see a, uh, a video of myself and, and Becky Villarreal just demonstrating one of these FlexViews. Uh, they're really cool. They're it's a you know it is it's a it's a display mount that has you know, wheels and allows you to roll it around from place to place. They have two or three different models. Uh, one of them allows you to actually move the display up and down um, for either video, you know video conferencing or for um, uh, handicap access or other other uh, instances where you would need to move up and down the other one 
is kind of built for for mobile video conferencing. It's got a, a giant base uh, you can put a, a, a battery backup and a VTC system in. So yeah, it's some really cool stuff. If you go by the website and check it out, if you would please, uh, MiddleAtlantic.com. MiddleAtlantic. What great systems are built on? Uh, that all right. Like the, a good app, that sounds like a good product for telemedicine. This is yes, new, it would be. But, yeah, it would be very yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, all right, from our, our buddies over at uh, Commercial Integrator, this caught my eye for a couple different reasons. Um, I've mentioned this before in a couple blog posts, and and this and the other one thing that makes Aviation kind of cool and unique, at least to me, is the fact that all of us are working professionals. My full time job is is I run a independent programming and design consulting firm. So guess what I am? I'm third party labor, y'all. Uh, so this is okay. So th- this is a, a white paper is talking about. The challenges of third-party labor. I am that third party, right? I'm uh, either you you get stuck, uh, or you don't have a programmer, or you don't have a, a, a certified programmer. You're a challenger, right? Oh, did I say that out loud? What'd you say? Nothing. No. Um, so there are issues, right? There are there are problems with with hiring third-party uh, people. But here's what where where in again my opinion, my point of view. This is what I do for a living, right, guys? The challenge comes in when you hire the wrong one. <laughs> when you hire the wrong one, uh, when you hire very nice Stevie, who yes, he can crack into you know Raspberry Pi and make it sing like nobody's business, but has no uh, has no chops and, and no right getting into an AMX system or, or nothing to do with a Crestron system or a BIAMP system or, or a, a BSS or what have you. That's where you get into trouble. Uh, Paul, we'll kick it off with you on here. What are some of the challenges, and then how do you overcome those challenges when it comes to when it comes to working with third party uh, labor and third party people when it comes to integrating systems? I would say you know one of the one of the biggest challenges. Um, let Let's take a, a programmer for for instance. Let's say oh yes, let's please say, let's do I, that. I, I hired I hired you or one of your staff. And they did a fantastic job, you know, on this one job. And I said, all right, you know, I want to hire your company again. And, well, the person that programmed last time, he, he or she is on vacation. So we're going to send this new guy. So you don't really know who you're getting, right? Like a lot of times when you're hiring, you don't really know. Whereas if you have that labor in-house, you, you know who's really good at stuff. Again, I go back to the HP Communications uh, example. Uh, there were certain guys that were really, really good at uh, custom things and other guys that were really good at um, schools or something like that. So you kind of knew which guys or girls fit the job. Um, whereas when you're going outsourced, you don't you don't really know what you're going to get. You can't handpick your person. You can't you know, estimate where they're going to be driving from. Um, the good news is that it, it means uh, standard rates so that if my client does question, if, if, if the jobs go out to bid and they choose a bidder, and they do start questioning the labor numbers, we can always compare that to a more national standard. But um, I would say that's that's the biggest challenge is you don't really know what the person has done before you get them. And um, I don't know if you offer anything like that, Tim, where where the you know the possible client gets to interview the programmer uh, ahead of time and, and and gets a resume or or here's here's three previous projects. I, it's the other thing is that you know even if you're handed three previous projects just like any other bid well here's here's our here's our dream staff and look at all the stadiums they've done when the when the when the job gets awarded you know a lot of times those guys are are off winning another bid while the new guys are are the ones that are brought to site so 
um, really knowing who you're getting, I'd say, is is the other hard part. Um, the other hard, but but it, it the idea of having sort of rental labor goes towards sort of the IATSE model, where you know each each show house, each concert hall doesn't need. 50 stagehands every night. You know, this one might need some one night, and these might another. So having the idea that you could freelance around um, definitely helps. Uh, I, I, when I was reading the article, I didn't read the entire um, white paper. I'll admit. One thing I thought of here was um, was uh, ultrasound and and Pro Media. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that hmm. that company. They're a Bay Area um, firm, and and basically ultrasound does. Uh, live touring, you know, they do the big concert tours, and Pro Media is the install half, and it's the same company, and they basically have two halves, and what they do is they use their guys to either, you know, their touring guys who aren't touring then become their installers, so if they have a bunch of guys that aren't on the road, I say guys, of course I mean guys and girls, we're predominantly a male industry, but um, uh, they they use those guys to become installers and they're you know they have some know how to rig and they have some you know they they learn how to solder, um, but they they have a neat model because if they don't have enough labor they don't go after the job, um, if they do have labor they go after more jobs. In this case they could actually still go after more bids even if their main crew is on the road because they would know well we have this reliable outsourced company that we can still bid on and use and use and 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 have pricing on the wall that I can look at and say, okay, that's what it's going to cost me a guy per day. I think that's the other thing that's a challenge is is um, is when you're doing it in house, you can sort of you know you can determine uh, you can you can use some newer people on certain jobs. Let's put it that way. You know, well, some okay, jobs so aren't quite as critical. Yeah, you you you've got that. But here here's the thing where I don't answer your question directly. You've got the the reputation of whether it's it's my buddy Steve Greenblatt with Control Concepts, Mark Lavecchia with with BMA, and I mentioned those two because those are are on opposite sides of the country, and little old me Innovad in the middle. Uh, you've got Pepperdash, you've got other um, other companies as well, specifically talking about programming. You don't know who you're getting, right? You you don't know who you're getting. You're going on the reputation of the previous jobs that they're getting. And you're relying on the managers of that company, the the primaries in that company, to make sure that you're getting a good quality product. So I, I guess the bottom line is you, you're talking. You, you're, we went from programming to, to labor, and labor's you know labor's a whole other issue too, because there's a, a company here in the Midwest called United Visual Labor. They do labor, and they're contracted and bonded, and and uh, their union and, and this that and the other, which is all important, especially here in the Midwest. I'm not sure about the, uh, the coast. But in the Midwest, that's an important part too. These are people who are AV professionals that happen to do, you know, the installation and the rigging and this, that, and the other. You're relying on that company and the managers of that company, the primaries, to make sure you good at get a good, decent job. If they think that a, you know, you know, a journeyman um, rigger or a journeyman, you know, rack builder, will do a fine job for you, then that's on them, right? Does that make sense? Where you know you're hiring control concepts, and if Steve Greenblatt says, you know what, yes, this kid is green, right? Yes, he's you know, in Crestron World. He has only been to two hundred one class, but he's good, right? He's he's he'll do a good job, job for you. And your bottom line doesn't change whether or not that takes that kid a thousand hours or it takes her 
two hours to program, you're still going to pay the same exact price, which is the, another nice thing about hiring third parties. Is that's, you know, that's not totally true though. Well, it, it depends on the contract, you're, you're right? Taking, you're taking the bottom. You're taking the cost that I'm paying you. You're not taking the cost of my time dealing with that novice programmer. Well, that, that's you know I mean? true. You're not if, taking the cost of the client whose project is delayed, who's making you stay late on a Friday because this programmer can't get their act together. And then that so goes back to that goes back to that, the primary. So that goes back to that goes back to that's on the primary, right? That's the person that you have the contract with. If that's happening, then that's not a good relationship, right? Right, but but only, but at that point, at five o'clock on Friday night, what what are my choices? You know, like. If you send me one of your programmers out to the Bay Area and he's supposed to be done at five o'clock on Friday and it's just not working, you know, we don't. He, he's like, I got to get on a flight, I got to go, or, or you know, you're gonna have to pay extra. Um, it, it's yes, it's on the other person, and yes, I can I can hold you accountable. Yes. It still doesn't make the system work. So so again, it, it really the, the 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 concern I have here is that really knowing who you're getting. Um, yes. And, well, and I think there's a, have, if you there's have a difference for perspective here, Tim. Go ahead, Frank. If you can, if you can request that person, yeah. then the client and yourself can have a lot more confidence in that person. I've seen way too many companies pull a bait and switch, okay. uh, where they and bring they, their best they, they bring their best programmer in to win the bid, and then that programmer goes away. I've seen programmers hired just to win bids. I don't know well, if you've ever seen that happen. Go ahead, Frank. Okay, so there. First of all, as I said, if we were to look at this strategically, a company a company has labor that they pay in a linear fashion. But the nature of integration is labor is not demanded linearly. It, it happens in fits and starts. And so, the the uh, the the issue is is how do we how do we do that? And and at which time do you hire a marketing person? None of us take our own trash to our dump. We outsource that, right? There's 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 certain there's certain things that we're really really confident because we're buying that outcome. Do I really care where it's taken and which kind of truck it's taken and the expertise of the guy taking my trash to the dump? I'm buying that outcome, and uh, and I think that uh, at least three of us on this are are independents, where we're doing contract work for clients. They're paying us for an outcome, and across the I don't know the, probably the 1,100 different engagements that I've had with customers, this really works best when there is a very very detailed expectation that the client has, and that detailed expectation, Paul, in your case, could be. Okay, this is going to be done, or there's going to be some kind of consequences yeah. at five o'clock on Friday night. And I know that I go into some kind of a contractor's nightmare of uh, of negative financial consequences if I don't meet that time. Yes. And it's got and and then define what a successful outcome is. The issue that we have is is that we get these really ambiguous agreements, and oh, you'll be able to have that party Friday night, or look at you're having that big conference, and so that conference room is going to be dialed in with with everything from, you know, remote learning and and uh, and high def uh, video exchanges and and uh, and that's just not the case. We have to have very detailed agreements. And so if you're out there and watching this as a buyer, really, really weigh the uh, the wisdom of your gut. You know, do you get along with this person? Do you have access? Do you have the ability to confront them with something very aggressively? For those of us that are in the business of contracting and being that outsourced guy, let's be very, very specific. If you look at the business of being a contractor, let's say, Paul, your company does that half a million dollars a year, so we're kind of a modest-sized integrator. If you work 50 hours a week, you're putting $200 of an hour worth of revenue under the bus every hour for every 50 of those hours. Are you going to be able to write your newsletter for that? How much does that newsletter become if you spend three hours on it? 
or let's say it's a simple, you know, it's a simple conference room remote uh, that needs to be programmed. Do you really have the, you know, the, the six or seven or eight hundred dollars that you would that, that you would pay a, an initial guy to go learn it, and another two hundred or four hundred dollars to program it, or could you just throw five hundred dollars at Paul to go have it have it programmed correctly? It's worth having those discussions, but I think that we on the on the supply side, outsource side, need to be very very good at discipline at harvesting from the client a very specific outcome that's very detailed. Yeah. Then you end up with a with a pretty enjoyable experience across all of it. Yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, I, I think you hit it. You you also touched upon something where um, uh, defining the scope of work um, and and you touch upon you know how, do you do the marketing yourself or do you not? You know, I also do social media marketing for companies, right. and a lot of people say I, I you know I, I do my own Facebook marketing, but I you know I haven't done it in a long time, and it's like well yeah because you have. 500 other things you got to get done this week and Facebook marketing is the last thing you're going to think of and yeah. there's no return on investment that you can see. If you hire me to do it, if you hire me to do it, it's going to be the first thing I do on Monday. You know what I mean? Right. That's the first thing I'm going to get to. Um, and so many integrators, because, because this industry is such a mom and pop industry except for some of these larger houses, um, the diversifieds, the 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 HBs of the world, and I'm sure there's bigger ones in the Midwest. Um, S A B I S B L, you know, obviously monster. Um, there's so many mom and pops uh, that have been doing everything themselves. That are the type of people that like to do it all themselves and like right. to learn. I'm the type of person that loves to learn, and if if it takes me all day, it's fun. But but I, I mean, I'm thinking of, of other past uh, employers, and and they were doing the programming themselves. They were doing, you know, the marketing themselves. They were, and it turned out to be very, you know, inefficient um, because their their skills were being wasted on smaller things. You're absolutely right, Frank. Uh, you, you shouldn't be taking out your own garbage all the way to the dump unless it's on the way home. You know, like something like that. Um, no, 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 and, Paul. And Paul, so many you, people. Paul, you should never be taking your trash to the dump. <laughs> well, well, give it, 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 point, Paul, Paul, the whole point on this compost out here. Yes. We do, we do compost. Let's give the let's give the the listener the tools to be able to understand that. Yeah, you probably could write your own newsletter, or you could probably be an accurate representative, articulated that on Facebook. It's pretty easy to do, but the problem is, is that it never hits the criticality level for you because you have right. so many other, you know, your day plan, your, you, you have a, a to-do list, and that lasts to the first time a phone rings, and then off the, <laughs> off the rails the day goes. Yes. And right. so by outsourcing to somebody who's got the infrastructure to set this up, it'll be only 80% as good as you do. But I'll tell you what, it's better than zero marketing when yes. you don't do it. Right. right? And right. so that's right. the point of doing that right. The same thing is, look at this, if you've got, it, all, of us, all of us have got projects in our, our, our skeleton closet where we didn't finish the last eight or 9% and so we left 15% of the money on the table. You know, well that's a, that's a horrible thing because the client didn't get what they were paying for. We, we didn't address the system honestly and by outsourcing and particularly with a professional like you Paul, where you would articulate in very great detail what the client is buying and how and when that that, that begins and ends, it becomes then a, a much more you know sh a much more effective tool for an integrator to prosecute the business of integration instead of pretending to be a programmer too, or a marketing person too. Yeah. Does that make sense, Tim? Absolutely, it makes complete sense. You know, and, and I, I loved your point about you know let's make sure that we all understand what we what we're getting when we go into it, right? And that right. that goes back to not only managing expectations 
of the client, but also spelling out in detail what I'm doing and what you're doing and what you're paying me and what you're getting. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, whether it's five o'clock on Friday or it's two o'clock in the, in, in the morning on Sunday, you know, um, and then that comes back to, you know, the, the quality and the reputation of, of the third party person you're dealing with. Again, whether you're talking programming or cable pullers or labor or whatever, you know, that comes back to the, the integrity and, and what I've said I'm going to do. And, and bottom line is if, you know, not just if there's a contract, if, 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 I say I'm going to do something, then you know I'm going to make every effort that I can to get it done, uh, and that's just you know, you know, personal, I guess. So, uh, Mr. Now, Tucker, you know, I, think this, I think this arena is incredibly important to understand, and dealers that do outsource, you know, contractors that do outsource well, even manufacturers that outsource well, uh, are benefited, and people that do it poorly are, uh, you know, are potentially financially damaged yeah. because they didn't do it well, right? Yeah. Mr. Tucker, that- go ahead. Mr. Tucker, let's let's talk about third party party stuff with you. Um, mm-hmm. Not not because of it, not for nothing, but George used to work for a control manufacturer, and now he's in live staging and events. Mm-hmm. Two arenas that have seen their fair share of um, per diem part time work. You know, third party uh, contractors uh, moving through. What are some of the, the the drawbacks and the benefits from where you stand? Well. The problem is in live staging, it's 90% freelance. Yeah. Uh, whether you have a, a cadre of people who you use on a regular basis and they're sort of what you call the staff lancers <laughs> uh, or, uh, or, or that, or permalancers, I think is another one that people use at times. But that's most of what we do. We have an in-house staff, but that's mostly shop staff, you know, production management. And then everything else is outsourced from a regular set of people, sometimes from an organization that sources labor. Uh, the guy that I work with at ISIS for the ISIS Vancouver podcast yeah. Uh, it works for a company called Rigit. They're a labor sourcing uh, place. So that stuff for live events is essentially what we do. Uh, you have to. It's the overhead. There are enormously dips in highs and lows of what our business is and when we get work. Uh, well, I'm lucky. We're pretty consistent here. Um, that's the positive is that we don't have to worry about uh, a lot of the overhead. But we do have to worry about getting them back. We do have to worry about training them and having them use that somewhere else or us not being able to use them and them going off and getting a better gig uh, and using that knowledge that we've invested in them you know, for someone else. But that's always a good thing. So we have a sort of this, this, the betterment of everybody, no matter who it goes to, is better for the industry. Um, we do installs as well, mostly broadcast. And remarkably, a lot of that is 50-50. Our freelancers we've known for a long time, and our in-house staff that knows exactly how we have to do it. And that's where we do is that we've built relationships with these third-party people and or companies, and we know what we're getting and we know how to manage that. And we're looking far enough ahead. Uh, You mentioned, Paul, the the Friday at 5 o'clock thing. We've always made an assessment that if Friday was supposed to be the deadline day and Wednesday we don't think we're going to make it, we extend it. If he leaves and he's got that extra day pay, I'm going to eat that extra day pay, but it was a buffer. Or we negotiate that if you stay, Here's what's going to happen. If you don't, then let's split it down the middle. The guy still makes out. You still get protected. Everybody knows what they're supposed to be up against. And it's sort of that ex- managing expectations and managing what everybody needs. Uh, and again, that's the way we do it with these shows. If for some reason a 10-hour day turns into a 20-hour day because of something that happened at the venue or something with a piece of equipment, as the main vendor of that show, I have to eat it. I have to say, guys, we have to keep going. Understand, you're going to get your overtime, so I'm going to get into penalty times. we got to move on and do it. You know, Or we've, we know ahead of time we're making accommodations. Bring some shop guys in to finish that part, give them a rest, and then back. 
you know, I think third parties work a lot. It's sort of, again, what we did with the IONS, centralized versus distributed. In this case, <laughs> yeah. we're talking about the same thing. In many cases, you need a core central group. And then you can supplement that with trusted agencies and or people that you know you can use. We right, because for every, for every outsource person you bring in, not every, but, you know, for every X uh, outsource people, you're going to need Y project managers that to tell them what to do, right? Because uh, your your normal staff lancers, they know your systems, they know uh, you know how things plug in, how your power supplies work, and everything like that. Uh, your your more union labor guys, the guys that aren't familiar with your systems, um, they're gonna they're gonna wait around for you to tell them what to do. A lot of times, they sure they know how to wrap up a mic cable at the end of the night, but which case does it go in? Yeah. So uh, you're, you, I think that's really one of the best approaches you could take, George, is is having that sort of mix. Of um, of in-house versus outhouse, the the risk you take there is you sort of start to build these sort of teams. You know this this well. I'm a full timer and you're not a full timer. So you know I you know. Th yeah, this I mean that can happen, a, but uh, this and that sort of this realm of secret knowledge that every AV integration firm or every uh, sound company thinks they own that that they invented you know uh, time alignment in, in, in or, or that they invented the Phoenix connector uh, you know guess what we all use Phoenix connectors we've all made tricks Mid-Atlantic has taken most of our rack tricks and built products out of them you know like because we've all shown them look oh, look at this thing I made for your rack and they of course they went and and built their own version uh, and so I think we have to get out of this realm of secret knowledge and 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 stop thinking win-lose I think a lot of times uh, AV integration firms you know there's so much competition between them it, rightfully so I guess because of the, the 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 money aspect but if they acted a lot more like Silicon Valley or Bay Area folks that were much more open source look at what we've done look at this cool thing I made instead of hiding it in the black box uh, then we wouldn't have this realm of secret knowledge. And I think that's what we're really getting at here is we all need to be on the same page. It gets back to Infocom, CTS, CTSD. So personally, I would feel much more comfortable outsourcing if I knew that every single person was CTS, for instance. Okay. You know, I would feel much more comfortable with that. And to uh, that end, just like a restaurant, just like a restaurant programmer being certified, that's a certain level of competency that you're, you're expecting to get. Um, now, there's still better, faster, you know, people. Um, so, uh, it, but at least it takes some of the risk out, and I think that's that's what outsourcing does. Is is sure you can you can have varying headroom, but you're also adding risk because uh, you really you know you you don't necessarily know who you're going to get. Um, Go ahead, George. Oh no, I was going to say to that same end. I believe Cedia does something, and so does Infocom. We just did a show on the Apex stuff, where in conversely the same way. If I'm going to make sure that everybody's CTS or uh, I forget what the CD designation is. Uh, forgive me, Frank. EST. 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 If I know they are, then I want to make sure as a CTS or an EST that the company I'm working for has a rating that says, yes, you're fine too. So it goes both ways. Uh, and that, that secret sauce isn't really so secret, as you said. Um, but I think that the, um, the management of an outsource, particularly of a programmer, the best manager is a programmer. If you're going to manage somebody outsourcing that, put somebody on that project that understands code. Yeah, and understands the the, the, the intricacies and the uh, you know the entire arena environment because it it is pretty smoggy for somebody that hasn't immersed themselves in it. You know you can't see it, things aren't logical, um, and so you have a different expectation that particularly on time, and uh, and then 
that personality type doesn't react well to screaming and ranting and raving and um, you know you kind of got to shield that guy from uh, from client frustrations and questions because they'll react inappropriately to that and maybe change their their effectiveness or their efficiencies in the way that they write code and so our best management of outsourcing on code writers would be a good code writer yeah and uh, and being able to understand that all right, guys, uh, real quickly uh, before I let you go. First of all, uh, Infocom uh, sent out an email this week. If you've ever wanted to present at Infocom, now is your chance. Uh, you go. Uh, I'll put a link on, on our website. Um, knock yourself out. Give them a presentation or at least shoot them an idea. Say, hey, you know, here's, here's my idea. Um, you know, I've, I've done this in the past, presented my ideas. They've never taken them, but I just, you know, probably poorly written proposals so um but yeah there you go i'll put up a link on the website and uh this is the final week i think actually today unfortunately uh is the final week for discounted cedia uh registration uh but cedia is still coming up fast and furious uh the 11th 12th and 13th in september in beautiful denver colorado uh frank uh, real quickly and, and and i i one thing i will say is is this is my first time going to cedia uh we oh. last week uh, Aviation Nation is going there. We're going to cover it uh, as you know, as part of a media out outreach. So, what should people expect if they've never been? And, and what are one or two things that that we should be looking for? Um, it's it's along the same lines as Infocom, where you have a uh, you know a cadre of contracting types from the uh, the most elite to the you know to the most generic. You know, you'll have electricians and and alarm guys walking around, and then you'll have people that have done. You know some super exotic stuff, and there, you know, there's some homes out there, believe it or not, that have more money put into it from an electronic perspective than there is in Staples Center. Oh wow! You know, they, yeah, just so so. If you're a commercial guy and you're thinking about it, the uh, the finish the the finish skill level that the typical CD integrator is at is is way deeper than what happens in the commercial world. The commercial world has to be a, a much stabler system. I think that they end up with a uh, a lot more you know a lot more integration and so the expertise on that level is very high. But what makes a really really successful residential guy is is that they have an exceptionally high finish quality where it's very very polished and very you know because you're dealing with basically luxury women yeah. that are looking at your looking at your finished products and so every screw is aligned and the you know every single piece matches color wise and you're dealing with egotistical interior. They call them designers. We call them detonators. You know, um, <laughs> they, they, there's just a you know a huge a huge focus on extremely high finish quality, and so you'll see that as as being uh, you know at the foremost. And then there's uh, you know an enormous amount of uh, of uh, you know actual science done in room acoustics and speaker design that that helps. Uh, you know, the, I, I would say that the acoustic quality, you know, CDS systems have to play really high quality at low levels. And uh, and I don't know that we get to that kind of quality level across the spectrum in the commercial world like they do in the in the residential world. And so there's an enormous amount of education on how to do that, how to tweak and calibrate that. Um, you know, again, like like Infocom, there's hundreds of uh, hundreds of um, educational courses, and then the, and there's a ton of manufacturers showing really cool gear. Yeah. No, I'm I'm very very excited. So uh, we'll be out there actually on the 10th. I think there's a media day. So. We come in on the you should tent. go to uh, you should go to ISE also, Tim. You should be broadcasting from Amsterdam. We're uh, we're trying, dude. We're that's that's a conversation <laughs> a fun, that that George and I have had. Event, right? uh, George and I have had a couple of different times. Um, 
and, and I say this almost every year after Infocom, I'm really hopeful. <laughs> so yeah. I'm really hopeful for 2015 for ISC. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of those that we've been trying to get to for a while. Uh, problem is that they won't give George or I either one a passport. Um, something about a no-fly <laughs> list. I don't know. So, uh, All right, guys, that's going to do it. Uh, Paul Konikowski, thank you so much, sir. PKAudioVisual.com. Uh, where can people find you or, or more about you? Uh, yeah, www.pkautovisual.com uh, is the best way. That's my blog, and, and all my contact information is on there. All right, very good. Thank you so much. Uh, Frank White. Frank is the, uh, as he put it, the senior partner at Stay Tuned. Uh, he's also uh, one of the volunteers at CDS, so thank you, sir. You got it. My pleasure. If you want to get hold of me, it's frank at staytunedin.com. Frank at stay tuned in, stay, stay tuned in com. There we go. Right. Uh, and last but not least, George Tucker. Um, it says AV Nation. Uh, he's also uh, an engineering coordinator for World Stage and does writing for everybody under the sun. I do. I'm a whore. <laughs> you said that, not me. I did. I admit it. I have no humility. At Tucker Twos. Tucker Twos on any social media. Uh, I'm, some of my articles are especially showing up right now in Commercial Integrator. Yeah. This is where I point out that George is the, is the surly one because he's from New York and I'm the m- nice Midwestern boy. So... Uh, don't, don't follow me. Go by the website. If you would please, please avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Uh, the fine webmasters there have done a fabulous job. I say that because I'm not one of them. They, uh, they really do a good job with the website. Uh, you'll find, uh, this program and a ton of other stuff. Uh, something that we've put up, uh, here recently, uh, if you're interested in, in hearing more from us on a regular basis, uh, and you don't do social media, you don't do Twitter or, or Facebook, uh, we, we put up a thing for, for a newsletter because uh, we're going to start sending stuff out about, out about once a month or so, just kind of saying, hey, here's some of the shows that we've done this month. If you're interested, there you go. Uh, so, yeah, sign up for that if you would, please. There are also uh, AV Social Show, uh, The Live Life, State of Control, EdTech, which is our education-focused show, uh, Pico Projector, uh, DIY, um, or, I'm sorry, Pico Prospective uh, and DIY. Uh, do we have a new Lighting Guy show coming up? Yes, very did, soon. Did I see that? Okay. Yeah, he just had a baby, so he was off for a little while. That's a bigger story. He Mike had a baby. Had baby. There yeah, we go. The wife, yeah. <laughs> the wife had a baby. He's becoming a brand new papa. So. Ah, that's always fun. Yeah. That's always fun. So yeah, go by the website, avianation.tv. All of our podcasts brought to you by the fine folks at Middle Atlantic. Middle Atlantic, what great systems are built on. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. This has been AV Week.